Welcome to Hindsight, flash fiction tales written and narrated by Joyce Holt. Come along with me every week or two for glimpses into the past and for folk tales retold for today's listener. In episode one, First airing the week of St. Patrick's Day, I bring you three tales from Ireland. Boar's Lair, a folk tale from County Kerry. The folk of Killarney must cope with an otherworldly creature much more sinister than a leprechaun. Trophy in the Loch. Three desperately hungry orphans fishing in a loch near Killarney net something rather bizarre. Spurned. A self-absorbed young beauty is chagrined to find that her charms fail to impress the newest visitor to the mansion. I'm begging your pardon for my poor attempt at a brogue. Boar's Lair Neil blundered through the woodsy night, saplings whipped in his face, roots snagged his feet. Ahead, dawn's first glimmer shone into a glade. Neil plowed through a fern break and into the open. He scoured the dimly lit ground, heaved a sigh of relief when he saw the hoofprints of his straying ram. Still alive and on the run, he muttered, and set off again in pursuit, glad it hadn't been caught and gored by the monster. Nor he himself either. Was it heroic or foolhardy of him to go chasing the ram in the wee hours while the great black boar terrorized County Kerry? His wife would choose the latter, no doubt, and give him a tongue-lashing when he returned home. The scent of bruised herbs wafted the breeze. Marjoram, freshly trampled Marjoram. He was getting close. Neil moved slowly, quietly needing to sneak up on the ram, not spook it again. The forest cleared again onto a gully and a gurgling stream. Beyond loomed a cliff, the first knees of Torque Mountain rising against the dawn. Something moved at the cliff foot. The ram? No, not fleecy white, a shadow blacker than night. Strangling on a breath, Neil hunkered behind a gorse bush and peered through the leaves. The boar. It vanished into a crevice in the cliff. The footprints he'd been following all night, not the rams after all. Neil gaped at the cavern mouth as dawn light grew. The boar's lair. He'd found it. The locals could gather a mob now. They could trap the monster inside, perhaps kill it, end the nightly rampaging. Back to the village, the farmer whispered to himself. He rose to leave just as a figure emerged from the cavern. A two-legged figure, a man, who spotted Neil at first glance. The shaggy, black-haired fellow strode to the edge of the stream. You didn't see me, he bellowed. You will keep your mouth clamped shut and say not a word. His voice dropped low and guttural as a boar's grunting. For your silence, you shall become a wealthy man, a very wealthy man. "'What do I want with c c cursed riches?' Neil stammered, shaking his head, backing away. "'Cursed? You speak of cursed? What do you know of cursed?' The uncouth fellow raised brawny arms to shake at the sky. "'Every night I must walk as a boar. 
Do not speak of cursed, or I will rip you limb from limb. Neil glanced at the rushing stream, and downhill to a rude bridge. Evil beings could not leap water. He'd have a head start. He turned and fled. No footsteps pounded behind him. Instead, a roar of fury swelled into a howl of thunder and a rushing of gale winds. Neil looked back, tripped, fell. A spinning ball of flame hurtled skywards. It flew higher than the cliff and vanished over its brow toward the heights of Torque Mountain. Neil clambered to one knee, still staring at the cliff top. The ground trembled. The morning air shivered. A rumble sounded. The trees at the brow quaked. A torrent burst over the rim, carrying mighty oaks and spindly pines to hurl at the ground below. Cliff face and debris and all vanished behind a thundering wall of waterfall, sealing away the entrance to the shapeshifter's lair. And the great black boar never more rampaged through the fields of County Kerry. This folktale comes from Killarney, County Kerry, Ireland. Trophy from the Loch Ishleen sculled her oars, keeping the rowboat gliding toward shore. Brogan, three years younger, handled the lines of the fishing net. A large dented bucket sat between them, holding one small trout and two little eels. At this rate, they wouldn't need the second smaller bucket still on shore, which Rory, the youngest, appeared now to be wearing as a rain hat. He hunched under their mother's tattered old oilskin, shivering and teeth a-chatter, no doubt. Ishleen had tried to make Rory stay home, but he was right. He'd be just as dry and warm out here by the loch as in their tiny hut. That is, not at all. It's no use, Ishleen said. If we want to eat today, I'll have to walk to the coast for seaweed. That'll take all day, Brogan said. Aye, she sighed, and after all night on the loch. Hold on, we've snagged something. Ishleen shipped the oars and went to help him. Something big, he said, hauling hard. Heavy, she added. Not fish, Brogan yanked on his line in disgust. Don't tear the net. It won't come loose. It's moving. Help me raise it. Just a tree branch, Brogan growled. Must be a whole stump. Ishleen lashed her line tight and went back to the oars. We'll have to get it ashore to untangle the net. But when they dragged their catch halfway up the shingle, they found not wood, but bone and horn. What is it? Rory asked, dancing around. Looks like a deer's head. A great big giant deer. Ishleen and Brogan sat back on their heels and stared. Rory was right, ten feet across from tip to tip of the massive rack of antlers. Rory jumped, splashing, trying to reach the base of the highest spike. I heard tell of something like this, Ishleen said. Giant deer buried in the peat, washing out in the loch water. Any meat left on it? Brogan asked, his stomach growling. She shook her head. Long dead, long, long ago. No good to us, then. Brogan stood and kicked the skull, then hopped around, muttering fishermen's curses. I wonder. Ishleen looked at the path leading up from shore toward the great house of Macross. The grand folk have hunting trophies mounted on their walls, I hear. 
Could we sell it to them, do you think? Brogan halted and narrowed his eyes. How much would they pay? Ishleen stood, wiping the sand from her hands. Enough for passage to America, perhaps? Three tickets to America! Rory shouted the dream they three shared. You two guard our trophy, Ishleen said, until I come back. With the wagon and team, Brogan said, that thing is heavy. This is a fictional account about the discovery of an actual relic from a past age. Among hunting trophies displayed in Macross House is an antler rack from a megaloceros skull found in a local bog. The megaloceros, often called Irish elk, ranged through Europe and other parts during the Pleistocene epoch, dying out about 6,000 years ago when the climate changed a little too far. Macross was built in 1843 in Killarney, County Kerry, Ireland, shortly before the Great Famine, when a million Irish died of starvation. Spurned Esme swirled her skirts as she passed through the archway. Yards of silk rustled a soft announcement of her arrival. The serving girls curtsied as she made her way to the head table, late like usual. No one else paid heed to her grand entrance. Her lips pursed in a pretty pout, but nobody saw. Parents and siblings in various relations focused attention on a traveling harper tuning his strings. Esme let the pout slide away as she took in the harper's fair skin and raven-black hair, the fine lines of his cheek and jaw, the strength and confidence spoken by every movement of his lithe arms. An alluring smile took the pout's place. Esme struck a pose of grace and beauty and waited to capture the first glance of this handsome young Irishman. He did not look up from his harp. She cleared her throat, ready to ask, like always, why they hadn't waited dinner for her. A chorus of voices hushed her. He's nearly ready to start. Is he indeed? Esme said, pitching the words to reach the young man. She wished the quality of her voice matched that of her looks. The harper glanced up, sweeping his gaze across Esme without pausing to take her in, then turned back to his harp. The young woman huffed and flounced to her chair, prepared to despise the stupid Irishman. Then he began to play. Her resolve vanished, wafted away by the harper's enchantment. His music rippled and trilled. It pealed like bells and tinkled like rain on a pond. At song's end, Esme clapped longest of all. Again, his gaze skimmed across her without a meeting of the eyes. Plecockles and muscles, someone called. He played old tunes and new, slow and solemn, light and lilting. He never met Esme's gaze. The more delight she felt in his music, the more distressed she grew. It was her part to bedazzle and enchant. How dare he bring such beauty into her realm and not offer it at her feet? She could not bear the agony a moment longer. Such heavenly music played by a heartless devil. Esme sprang from her seat and fled the dining hall, her velvet slippers slapping out of time with the harp. The butler, listening at the door, caught her arm. Mistress Esme, are you ill? I can't bear it any longer. 
his brows arched. You can't bear listening to the finest harper in the land. Finest? I'll say he is. His music chiming ripples along every inch of skin. But how rude. All I want is one glance, one smile. But he won't look at me. The finest, I said. Turlock or Carolyn? Esme's lower lip went beyond a pretty pout. The finest harper ought to manage the finest manners. Five years ago, Turlock was struck by smallpox and blinded, miss. When he lost his eyesight, that's when he took up the harp. Esme blinked. Oh! All Turlock had seen of her was a scritchy voice and angry slapping feet and a heart blinded silly by vanity. Turlock Carolyn was born in 1670. He would often make up a little ditty in honor of the master or mistress of the house where he was visiting. Here is my rendition of Turlaka Carolyn's song, Planksty Irwin. I hope you enjoyed taking a long look back with hindsight. Find out more about my writings, flash fiction, and novels on my website, JoyceHolt.com. In lowercase and no spaces, that's J-O-Y-C-E-H-O-L-T.com. Thanks for dropping in.